Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Let the filibustering begin. Welcome to Nerd Party. Welcome to the filibuster. I'm one of the hosts, Lee Hutchison, and welcome to the brand new, new look, all shiny, new filibuster. The Senate floor has merged into the filibuster, and we're now going to be an amazing kind of one-stop shop for all the hosts of the network. Don't worry, me and Matt will still be here every two weeks talking about Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, and everything in between. But on off weeks, we're going to have like an all the ramble of hosts that we've got. We've got so many amazing people spread across the new Star Trek podcast, the Star Wars podcast, nerding up show that we want to get everyone in together to be able to share some exciting topics that they're passionate about. And this week, Darren Moser, one of the hosts of the new SETI Alpha 3 podcast, has picked this topic of hard science science fiction movies. So I'm going to hand it over to him to introduce and tell us about this subject and we're going to have a bit of fun for the next hour talking about some exciting movies that he's chosen. So Darren, welcome to the Nerd Party. Thank you. It is great to be officially here. I did get a lovely chance to already talk with you a bit when we did our alien commentary a little bit ago on Filibuster 17. That was always, always fun. And yeah, so I, I found a good signal here on City Alpha 3. I can transmit and receive. So fortunately, we can talk about movies. So for today, I wanted to talk about hard science space movies. And it's, you know, because if we're not going to talk about something ridiculously specific, then why bother? <laughs> so yeah, what's the point of the nerd party? <laughs> exactly. Nerds in their definition are nerding out over niches. It's all about the nerd niches and alliteration too. That comes into play as well. When I saw your list of movies that you picked to discuss today, there's a few that got me particularly excited that I just had to put my name forward for this, that I've had such a long day. I got home from London first thing in the morning, went straight to work, and now it's here I am in my pyjamas at night podcasting. But when we get through some of these movies, you'll find out why I just had to be on this episode. Well, let's get to it. So I put about maybe eight or so on this list. And of course, this is an all-inclusive list. You can add and remove as you listeners feel so inclined. But these are ones that I feel fall into this definition. And the definition only gets stronger as we progress through the years, as you will see. But I felt we had to start back in 1968 with 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, at that point, we hadn't even landed on the moon yet. It's crazy to think that, isn't it? That 
I actually saw 2001 on the big screen just a few months ago and it still just looks as stunning as ever and it, it truly blows your mind that this was Stanley Kubrick's first trip to the moon before he filmed the the moon landings a, a year or so later so yeah he really was getting some practice in before the the greatest conspiracy of all time well that's I mean okay now please do not tweet me if you believe we did not land on the moon because I will fight you uh, we obviously did land on the moon. There's a lot of documentation, and I don't even know why that's the thing. It doesn't. It doesn't even make sense. But, but yeah, 2001. This this is a, a favorite of mine. It, yes, it is very long. Yes, the shots are very long and drawn out. But it, if, as a piece of cinematic history, as it trying to represent what 2001 would look like for space travel and trying to get things right. I mean, there's no jet exhaust. There's no, you know, a ro- ro- well, there is a bad robot, but, you know, it's built into the ship, so it's it's okay. But this movie did such a good job of the heart of this topic, which is trying to portray things as realistically or accurately as possible. I mean, yes, it's fiction. Yes, it's a film, but they want to transport you to this world of taking moon buses with your lunch to, you know, Tycho crater. Cause that's what you do. It's Thursday. You know, it's, it's not even a big deal anymore. So, but yeah, this is, this has been a favorite of mine for many years. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally stunning movie. Um, I caught it actually on 70 millimeter Ooh. just kind of a few months ago during the film festival. And it was just, just a stunning print and a stunning opportunity to see a film like this, the way it's meant to be seen that I'm sure I'm the same as you, Darren. I've seen it on video so many times, DVD, Blu-ray. And the fact to see it on the big screen was just, just stunning. And it reminds you how ahead of its time it was that it's, people talk about say movies like alien and blade runner making like the lived in universe but 2001 did that first that you walk around these ships you see the technology and you get the impression everything has a purpose every button has a specific task and it really is stunning to see that level of detail on the ship in that second part oh definitely i mean when we have the giant jump cut from prehistoric man all the way to you know, back into the the far-flung future. But, I mean, even the shots as they're going around the disc and as they're, you know, bolted into their chairs to to not fall out as it spins. I mean, it's the the cinematography in this shot is is so well done. And who doesn't think of HAL 9000 when you think of evil robots? Like, you have to put them on your list. And it's one of those ones ahead of its time that I always think of uh, Hal as actually my Siri in a way that he's just that head of the time, just that little red light, as it were. That, that impassioned you could imagine eye. something like that being on your iPhone. What are you doing, Dave? And I mean, like the fact that this film is, it's, you know, 60, 1968 it came out and it's, it's crazy to think that it still is as relevant as ever that how we're dealing with technology and the fears that people have that technology is going to take over their lives. And, you know, perhaps that's kind of goes back to 2001 and that such a realistic portrayal of what could go wrong and how a computer could, you know, kick someone out of the airlock. Exactly. Well, when when I was younger and always building Legos with my friend Stephen, we had a rule where if you ever heard the beautiful blue Danube gravity turned off and our Legos would start to float because that's the what they play as they're on the the shuttle heading to the moon and the pen is floating and it's just oh it's it's so good. And, and- 
And especially with sci-fi, really, at the time, we kind of think of, like, Star Trek, specifically in the kind of 60s, where everything, you know, everyone is able to sit around that, well, how does that work? Oh, it's the kind of the anti-gravity machine or something like that. Everything's kind of just easily answered. With 2001, it still kind of feels that it's within our lifetime that I always think of, you know, probably in the 60s that people drew what it would look like to be in 2001 and you have these kind of moon shuttles and, hey, Timmy, what will it be like when we're older? Oh, you can go to the moon and back in a day. But 2001 is is just that almost that realistic interpretation of what the future would like it's it's they've pulled it back from the kind of the grandiose images of kind of the 50s and 60s science fiction pulp the star treks and made it back into something realistic that these are believable astronauts a believable ship that their workout is probably similar to the kind of footage that was being shown on american tv at the time of the cosmonauts going into space and getting prepared it's that line is there in the sand and and that's what the moon looks like i mean when we went there later that decade it 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 looks pretty convincing for considering we had we had very little actual footage of the moon at the time but well our next pick lee we're going to jump 30 years forward and i just want to put this up front this list is going to get worse before it gets better but bear bear with us cuz we're going to jump to 1998 armageddon michael bay okay i know i know what you're thinking you're thinking darren uh hard science um a bunch of oil drillers trained to be astronauts, because that's easier than training astronauts to be oil drillers rocketing around the moon. Okay, I can't even describe the entire movie. It's so implausible. But I, I did want to put it on the list because it, it does have space stations. It does have you know a modified uh, super rocket shuttle. It, it has also that, what's the word? That spirit of you know exploration and adventure and space which i always enjoy and it's just it's just a fun ride i mean it, you know the armadillo i just i didn't even want to start on what the heck that thing looks like but but I, ha- I think i had to keep this in even though it is the the stretchiest of this topic we're going for I was 11 when this movie came out and I my dad actually worked offshore on a oil rig at the time and to switch on a movie to see people from an oil rig working in space made me believe that my dad could go to space and drill on a ship on a on an asteroid um, uh, unrealistic at somewhat um, that my, where I kind of grew up was kind of part of the big oil trade that most people's dads or uncles or relatives worked offshore in these oil rigs and I could just imagine you know family friends and everyone just rocketing off into space to to save the day it's uh, not the most realistic image in the world no but uh, that's fun that you have that personal connection with uh with that half of the movie and but I mean it's a it's a well acted movie I like Billy Bob Thornton I think is really well done I mean, it's just one of those big ensemble casts kind of before big ensemble cast kind of was a thing. And it's it's just a lot of fun. I always remember the kind of the period of 98 where it was like Armageddon or Deep Impact, Bugs or Ants Life. It seemed to be that was the, the summer of the, the matching movies. Exactly. I remember that, which probably Deep Impact was a little more on the scientific side, but Armageddon is just, it it went all big. It went big or went home. And so you have to give it that. 
even down to that i think armageddon is more remembered these days not necessarily for the science or the the movie but the theme song itself i don't want to miss a thing it's yes. probably been played at so many weddings since it, it, it was it was one long music video really that's what the movie was so if, if we take it like that well stepping forward two years we get to 2000 and space cowboys okay this is another guilty pleasure of mine again it's easier to train really old ex-astronauts to be astronauts versus training new astronauts to anyway that that part breaks down but it's a lot of fun it's a very like old right stuff kind of feel well cast i mean clean eastwood not only directs this but is you know is the lead you got tommy lee jones you got and they go up in to you know confront the really scary satellite that satellite was scary uh it it freaked me out but uh this again a, a guilty pleasure and a lot of fun i mean there you have a guy with glasses on in space i mean that you can't can't top that yeah, this is a film that I've only ever seen once, and I can barely remember a thing about it. I actually saw it. I think I was coming back from America on a long-haul flight, and this was one of the movies, and I was quite excited to see this one because I, I was a big space geek as a kid. I was like, oh, I can finally watch Space Cowboys. I think I watched like 10 minutes of it, and through no fault of the film, I think my sleeping pills kicked in, and I just fell asleep on the plane all the way home. <laughs> so I, to this day, I have never seen the ending of Space Cowboys. Well, you know... I. That's okay. That you have a lot of movies you need to watch, Lee, and it's okay to put Space Cowboy lower on that list. I do not fault you for that. But this this will be one of the films I'll be on that the new podcast with Sean uh, Missing Frames talking about how I've not seen Space Cowboys. I'm sure we'll we'll get that one in the books. Oh, there you go. Well, okay. Now we come to I think the reason. You, not maybe what we're all here, but definitely you're all here. Uh, 2009. Okay, this is the later half of the list where it it actually fits the definition of hard science, really going into a technical level of believability. And we have Moon, directed by Duncan Jones. And I'll just let you let you start off on that, Lee. I love Moon. It was like yesterday I got this message. Someone's pulled out. I need someone to fill in. And I looked at the list. I was like, 2001, Amazing Armageddon, Space Cowboys. Oh, I'm sure you'll find someone. Moon. Well, Darren, I, I, I mean, I'm back home tomorrow. I'll, I'll meet up with you. You know, we'll, we'll do this. Any chance to talk about Moon? Um, anyone that's listened to my kind of previous podcast talking about uh, Moon with Matt Hansen knows how much Moon means. And um, not long after the release of that podcast, we actually, um, it was promoted at a hard science event um, promoting um, and we got it kind of plugged at the end like and if you like this movie event you can check out Moon. I've been lucky where I live to be like see several screenings of Moon out with kind of the the European premiere and like the film release it's it was part of like a film philosophy day talking about is cloning an ethical situation to do on the moon and then I saw it earlier this year a kind of a hard science event where the film was screened and then they spoke about like the moon and is the movie realistically possible sending energy from the moon and they even brought moon rocks along so you know it was a, a pretty unique film event so for me i think the science of moon is incredibly realistic and it's kind of that same thing as 2001 that uh, the kind of the use of kind of real life sets intimate environments touchable technology technology that serves a purpose creates a kind of atmosphere already where you 
believe this is a realistic sci-fi movie it's not got that kind of cgi effect where you think oh this is this is a kind of animated version of science i think the idea of sending energy from the moon to earth is quite fascinating that we you know we've signed the paris accords this week to kind of tackle climate change so the idea that countries are going to have to come together and look at new ways to you know boost renewables you know fossil fuels aren't always going to be the way coal is a hot topic issue in america just now that the fact that it's kind of coming to its end so the idea that we might have to go to the moon to to get energy is not too unrealistic i don't think no and and there this movie is just firing on all cylinders i mean it's stellarly acted and its use of miniatures for like the rover and the exterior shots and they they really shine on par and it was made for a fairly small budget i believe but it yeah just the, and the story it it you really need to see this movie it needs to be in any space lovers collection because it is so well done and it's got you know the the hints of science fiction you know like you said with the cloning and and some things we don't have yet but besides that this scenario could actually happen today like the technology is really not that far off. I mean, the expense of getting there and doing all of that is cost prohibitive, which is why we're not mining the moon right now. But I could definitely see an L3, you know, lunar industries in the future. I also like how it's like has the the company kind of a kind of alien esque. Yeah, it's that kind of trait, isn't it? Sci-fi movies always have to have the company that always knows best and has always got some sort of ulterior motive. I think the cloning aspect is definitely going to be a part that kind of in the few years' time that I think we will be kind of looking at kind of human cloning in a certain way that I think there's definitely steps towards something along those lines when we look at kind of what kind of cloning's been going on and what can go on. And I, I think the idea that of sending clones to the moon is is very realistic that we speak about kind of well you can't have a, a certain mission to kind of mars or the moon because it take costs so so much to train one astronaut so the fact that you only need to train one and transfer the memories into another seems very realistic and especially in this That's kind of environment where where you've got it that okay we've got all these you know we can this is how much it's going to cost to train all these astronauts we are just going to spend the money on developing clones and you can have a lifetime of trained astronauts and all you need to do is train at once and when you see some of the kind of reaction these days where people look at the money being spent at nasa and think why should we spend that money when realistically we could spend it on education poverty like sometimes a justification like this might be needed to make the public accept money going into space funding i think well and i mean every dollar you spend in space you you reap so much benefits i mean we're still riding the technological wave from the apollo program and from that era so it is definitely in my at least in my vote uh to worth worth the investment but that's a good point i mean you think of let's say you have a colony on mars that just got there and you're you're having new kids and you're starting an actual colony you can't have a kid that just sits around. Everyone has to learn because you're basically always running against the clock of your older generation dying and losing that knowledge, and now you're stuck. So everyone's got to, to pull their weight and do their part, especially with such a small population. So, I mean, a population of one plus, uh, was it Gertie, the uh, the, the robot Gertie, yeah. AI? 
which Kevin Spacey and that's does another so well. realistic thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's another realistic aspect as well that we look at kind of artificial intelligence. We say we've got two thousand and one. It's just this kind of red red light, and with so much sci fi, we've got these kind of artificial intelligence which looks human, or we've got computer systems that are in charge of everything. I I always think Gertie kind of looks like a kind of kitchen sink, big microwave that's just lumbering around, and I think that and it's how it interacts with humans in that kind of just the smiley face right the, the emoji really quite realistic <laughs> yeah because once again that i it's almost that kind of emoji con kicked in before we kind of got it on the iphones where we could switch it on now and we can pick that smiley face the frowning face the monkey face it's like moon just kind of just got in there ahead of that kind of trend and any kind of intelligence like that on a base i could imagine it just being this kind of clunky thing just kicking around so i think they've really grounded that element in in realistic uh, science they do and it's it's an artificial intelligence but it doesn't feel like it needs to be a one-to-one person level intelligence it obviously has a program it obviously has its goal is to you know interact with sam and and facilitate the mission but it it's got it's a notch above what we have now but it's not like well that's obviously just a person reading lines like it feels like a program which is a good balance to hit. And yeah, with the emotions, they add context. I mean, how many times do we send messages and texts to each other? And if we could just add a little sarcastic symbol or serious symbol, like that would make it so much clearer on what we're trying to say. So it makes sense that an AI would have a screen like that that says, you know, I'm saying this word to you, but I'm also sad. And that gives you more context in, in what it's saying. And I think as well with the clones as well that the fact that they've only got a certain lifespan is kind of once again quite realistic that how do you keep up these kind of you know you 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 get a clone and you've got it immediately it's like 35 years old how do you keep that going up kind of forever that if you've got a realistic three-year lifespan and that you can con- build a kind of plan around that that okay we've got this clone for three years so we've got this three-year cycle that we can take full advantage of it then it kind of comes to its end and we bring another one in as opposed to kind of we've got a clone and now it's going to live happily ever after i think the time frame shows that it keeps it kind of close to us that it's not perfect it's not a refined science at this stage it's still something that's in development and it keeps it realistic and like it's made by kind of flawed humans of the day not just this perfect futuristic kind of mankind where they've got everything sorted well yeah and the company i mean in the company's view like l3 industries it's he's property he's a component of this you know, system. I mean, it, it, he. I don't believe they view him as human. It's we programmed it and set it up so that you believe you're human and you will do what we need and we will get our resources. But you know, they just loaded the clip of clones when they started, and once that runs out, they'll just load up another one and just continue it on. So it's it, it's it's very it's a very good film, very deep and 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 beautifully made and to to watch as well. Yeah, and, and the score is fantastic as well. And I'm really looking forward to, um, I think it's kind of maybe the end of next year, Mute, which is kind of a semi-sequel to Moon, where it's going to be based in modern-day Berlin. Um, oh, I heard about very that, Very little yes. is known about it. Yeah, 
very little is known about it but i remember as far back as 2009 duncan jones was teasing this kind of movie and thankfully the funding's gone through and it'll get a limited film release and then be available on netflix oh that's perfect that that's a great way to do it nowadays and i mean tv and distribution has changed so much since 09 already so i'm glad these opportunities are are available well well next we get to the <laughs> The, the unofficial trilogy powerhouse of 2013, 14, 15, Gravity, Interstellar, and The Martian, and where these are just firing on all cylinders in this, in this topic of hard science. So Gravity, um, Alfonso, uh, Kiran, I mean, just the, I don't know if you've seen any of the behind the scenes on what went into making Gravity Lee, but it, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, did you say you had or hadn't? I have yeah. Yeah. with the uh, the light cube they built like this three dimensional cube around Sandra Bullock and it they had pre resed out exactly where the camera would be and which angle and where the Earth would be and where the station would be so all these little lights properly showed the light reflecting off of her as they filmed it to be added later and it's just I mean that just blows my mind because that's so. It's like taking it to the 10th level just to get a drop-in CGI blue screen shot, but it was so much more. And for not only that, but the story and it, I mean, and the fact that it, it drops you, you know, mid, you know, mid scene, you're right in the middle of it. It all starts to happen. And except for a few outliers in, in space fact, it's pretty factual in, in what's going on. Yeah. It's one of these films that, I was really quite excited going into this movie and it's one I've seen a couple times now and it's never really sort of clicked with me. I think it's the fact I'm not the biggest Sandra Bullock fan and I think like I become a bit frustrated with the character and I think some of the imagery is a bit kind of you know on the nose i think on a technical level it's it's absolutely stunning and incredible and it's one of those amazing adverts for imax i think what i find quite fascinating about it is the the idea that we see it sometimes especially in science fiction that you go into orbit and you've just got this one satellite or you see something go into orbit and there's no satellites or space stations or anything around. Um, and I think the idea of gravity showing almost space as a playground in a way that you've got the American station, there's the Russian station, the Chinese Which station. They are all not that close to each other, but for the point no. of plot, we will accept that. Yeah, and I, I like the idea that of kind of the interactions between the two, that it's almost that idea that of how each space station can affect the other and how, you know, you can, the uh, idea that she she can travel to the Russian space station and how the the inside and interior is completely different to the others. and But yet there's that kind of universal technology between the three stations that is similar but there's just those minute details between the stations. I find that quite fascinating and I'd love to be able to just go into those sets and just pull them apart look at them i think it's it's a stunning piece of production work while i may not enjoy the movie as such i think uh, as a you know piece of filmmaking it's it's incredible yeah i mean the everyone uses the soyuz crafts to to get up and down they're so reliable they've launched so many times and they've done it safely so many times so all astronauts have to know russian to operate them it's just it's a it's a base level for going to the ISS, but yeah, from its use of, you know, the, 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 the sound design is, is on point because you don't have the, 
you know, pew pew swoosh sound. Like, no, it, you just hear inside her helmet breathing. I mean, it's it, yes, it's accented with music, but it it, it does it, the it it stays true to the no sound in space, which makes it even more hyper real. And and pretty much in st- in space, everything is stacked against you. Like the fact that she actually survives is very very. Like, it, it, she has to work for it because everything outside wants to kill you in space. It's it's very difficult to live in. I always remember when I watched this for the first time, I nearly just flipped a brick. I'm sure most people have when they watch the film. That that moment we think George Clooney's come back from oh, the yeah. dead and he's just, like, opens the door. And you, I was just at a moment going, are you kidding me? This film is really states its integrity on being this realistic, hard sci-fi movie. And then we've just got George Clooney's just kicking into the the space station. And then I was like, oh, thank God he's fake. Right. It's oh, it's a it's a, it's a hallucination because it's like yeah. I'm like I'm like wait a minute. You just completely depressurized for two. I mean, no, you would be dead. It would not. But yeah, no. And she she goes through the ringer, but she she makes it. Well, then that set off. And again, it's not like. That I mean, sure, it had a slight influence on the next ones in this series, but I mean, you have to think these are in production for years. So the fact that we got these three years in a row is is incredible. Uh, we get Interstellar with Christopher Nolan, and this, you know, from the Rangers that that kind of have a little bit of a shuttle look to uh, the the AI uh, Tars and Case and Kip, all the all the different the the bricks, the floating bricks. Which I love though. Those are those are so well done. Plus the overall. I mean, it's. I don't know. This one. It's kind of got the depressing storyline with the whole, you know, the blight and everything's dying, and you know, we're all here in the dirt, and that that part makes it a little bit less of a frequent watch for me. But I do like it's it's science concept. I love how it deals with relativity around the planet that's really close to the uh, Big Bertha black hole, and we're. In, an hour on the planet equals seven in Earth. Like it deals with relative. I haven't seen a movie deal with time relativity since the original Planet of the Apes, where that's why they're so far in the future because they've gone so fast, which actually makes sense. But no one, no one deals with time relativity in in space movies, really. Yeah, and it's so frustrating. Me and you are as big a Star Trek fans as anyone, and like the idea of relativity, like it's something any science geek like us has grown up thinking. It's just this amazing concept that an hour on Earth can mean like seven years elsewhere. It's just a concept that just blows your mind, and it's something that's barely ever been represented in cinema. Sometimes we're just happy to get no sound in space. So to get something on this level is just mind blowing. I was, I was really lucky a few years ago. Um, just last year, actually. I went to see Interstellar live in London where Hans Zimmer performed the score to the movie. Oh, the and score. before the film started, oh it was just... I was I was so, so lucky to see Christopher Nolan, Kip Thorne, uh, Dr. Brian Cox, and Stephen Hawking do like a question and answer amongst themselves talking about the science of Interstellar and the concepts behind it that was dealing with and. You know, you're so used to seeing Stephen Hawking and hearing that famous voice on TV, but then to be in a room hearing it talk, it was just unbelievable. So to hear those geniuses talking about the science and people, they were kind of discussing what have been argued as plot holes in the movie and explaining relativity. It was just a, a special, special experience. And I, for me, I think, and we touched upon this earlier on that, 
we're still reaping the benefits of those early missions, those early trips to Mars. And I think that's kind of really well summed up in the scene where he talks about the MRI scanner and all these different things that we take for granted that just because it doesn't involve going to space doesn't mean this is a technology that's not got rooted in that kind of exploration, that investment into the sciences, that investment into how can we go beyond the stars. And one of my favorite moments in that movie is, you know, we used to be explorers, but now we're here in the dirt. And that's a thing I actually really love because I remembered being a kid and thinking like movies like Apollo 13, all these space movies were 10 a penny. And I dreamed that, oh, wow, I'd love to be an astronaut. Even coming out of Apollo 13, I was like, I want to be an astronaut. And it made me want to, it made you want to dream bigger as a kid. Now I look at kind of kids these days and there's no kind of sciencey movies that I would think would truly inspire young kids to want to be astronauts, to to dream about going into space and in the stars, not in a, a Star Wars way, but in a, a scientific way. And I think that's something we've lost with the, the lack of kind of pushing out into the stars, even back to the moon. And I think Interstellar is a fantastic advert for what it was like for my generation when we were younger and for that kind of older generation that was caught up in the moon race that was there when we were watching the moon landings. And I think it's a a great advert for investing in science. Oh, man, there's so much to unpack from that. (laughs) Yeah, just, I mean, the the benefits we're receiving. I mean, do you like using GPS, Lee? Because I like using GPS because I'm pretty sure GPS is in space. But uh, the S stands for satellite. But yeah, there's there's so much benefit we're reaping. Uh, and in Interstellar, I love the just, again, it's just edge technology that's a little past what we have. But it totally makes sense. Like the, the sleep chambers that they hibernate. I mean, that makes sense on these long trips, which we also saw in 2001, A Space Odyssey. But the score, yeah, the fact that you got to listen to it, to it live, uh, I love... From the, uh, the, I think my favorite has to be the orchestral, not orchestra, but organ-based piece from when they're redocking to the damaged, uh, the damaged ship, and it's just, it's so tense, it's so tense, but it's so good, and it's just, it. I'll, I'll tell you, like that scene when they were performing it, because they actually had the organ. Uh player from the from the movie attended and the albert hall is just this stunning venue like the sound just travels so well and that kind of music build-ups about 14 minutes it kind of yeah it's a long long piece and then spontaneously when that kind of track ended with them like safely docking this whole like twenty thousand people just started applauding just that it was you know spontaneous this reaction to that specific score it was just unbelievable it was a truly truly special night in in every respect yeah i've seen videos of of organ players playing that piece i mean one just to play the organ is is incredible amount of skill but to play a piece like that where you're basically playing an entire orchestra in one instrument it feels like but no i totally and i totally agree with you with i i want to see more films like these like this list that are inspiring the next generation and are encouraging them. Uh, I'm actually going to be launching an, another small podcast later uh, this month that focuses specifically on my love of space exploration and that hope for the future because I just I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop 
encouraging people about it because it's I feel it's so important. And you, you may not agree, it may not be top on your list of budgetary items, but I feel for every you know amount we push into it, we are going to get such a benefit. Um, well, that leads us out. It brings people together as well. It does. It does bring people together because, you know, ever since 1968, when we left Earth orbit, went around the moon in Apollo 8, uh, there was, in that view, back on the planet, the whole planet in one shot. I mean, that's all. That's where we are. It's all of us right there. Everyone's in that shot. And we, we have to do our best to, to be good stewards as we can. Uh, but moving on to our last pick, and like I'm glad you did bring up Apollo 13 because it wasn't on my list because it's more documentary esque, real, like this actually happened. Whereas everything else on this list is, uh, you know, a piece of fiction. You know, we didn't actually go in interstellar. We didn't. That that doesn't exist. But I'm glad you mentioned it because that the the level of detail and realism that was in that movie was also just unparalleled. So, so well made. I've actually got a film I'd love to put on the end of this list. If you don't mind oh, as well, I'll keep that one as a, a wee surprise. We'll have a, we have a surprise, but before that we have the Martian uh, last year, 2015 Ridley Scott. Uh, so we finally get to Mars and, you know, we're doing orbit rendezvous and, and the book I devoured the book, the Martian. I could not put it down. It was so good this mission log style and which fit really well with his little GoPro movies and it, you're rooting for him. And, and again, you want to talk about having a cause to rally people around. I mean, the reason we had the space race was because it was a race. I mean, that's just America. We just, we, we need someone to, to edge us on just like Apple and Microsoft, just like, you know, all these other companies. If you have a, not antagonist, but a, but a race partner, you're going to do better and in The Martian, you know, that bring Watney home, bring him home was the driving force in NASA's ridiculous large facility, which there's no way it would actually have. But, uh, but yeah, this was just a, a great movie, really fun. Uh, again, like most of these movies, tiny points of would not actually happen. But, but for the most part, it, it really gets it right, it feels. And, and, it's, a, and it's well done. I mean, we, we keep needing to save this man. Uh, he just keeps getting in trouble, but uh, so if he's ever put in, uh, if Matt Damon's ever put in a future space movie, we'll just be like, okay, we gotta rescue him again. It's yeah, sure. yeah, like uh, the, he's the kind of. I think there was an article just a few months ago where it was focused on how much money the American government has spent <laughs> to uh, to save Saving Matt Damon. Saving Private Ryan, crazy. Interstellar, The Martian, list goes on. I think it's a, it's a really good movie. Um, it's I've not seen this the extended cut that recently came out lately. But what I liked most about it was the kind of the human ingenuity that how does a smart person in the room react that we're kind of used to with a lot of sci-fi that they kind of get by in an adventurous way or they techno babble their way out. I'm looking at you, Star Trek. Um, with something like The Martian, this is someone that's you know using their wit and their will to survive mentally physically and it's using resources that's something we rarely see in kind of science fiction is using real life resources whether it's you know human feces to create you know potatoes it's things like that that make it realistic where you kind of look at that and think ah of course of course that's what you would use and it's 
showing how a good education and science can really help you in all these sorts of situations that you know is it so unrealistic that perhaps in several centuries we might be kind of in barren situations that the earth might be in a, a terrible state and it's going to be people it's not always the kind of the strongest that survive but it'll be the smartest that survive that can use their resources can use their intelligence to make use of what's left and what's around us and to get through and i think it's a fantastic advert for studying science it's a film i think is an incredible advert to studying that as a degree to studying biology to studying how we can do better well and that really also it shows props to the to the astronaut corps because that's how astronauts are trained i mean they have their specialties but they also need to know pretty much how most components of the ship work. How, I mean, yes, it's a team effort, definitely, but it shows how he, he needs to do repairs. He needs to fix things and figure out the systems. And I, I like the fact that the majority of the movie, he's cut off. He cannot communicate with NASA, with home. And they don't even know he's alive for, for a good portion of it. And... It's it's just, it's really well done. Wonderful book. Uh, the, the my favorite part of the book, or one of it was, which they 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 have this in the movie, but it, the reveal is different just from reading versus seeing. Is you, you we, the, when the airlock decompresses and throws them out, but in the book they have these little tiny paragraphs that appear a couple chapters before, where it's like uh, three years ago on this day cloth mesh section J12 was checked and had this slight imperfection at this area. And that's it. And I'm like, what the heck? Why are we talking about this random piece of the hab? And then they talked about it later, like two chapters later. They're like, you know, this was installed by technician, whatever. And if he had done this check, he would have noticed that the slight abrasion was here, you know, and, and basically it, but then, uh, and then it clicked in my head. I'm like, Oh, something's bad's going to happen because why would we be talking about this? And it just kept building and building until that moment where it's like, well, you know, in a normal situation, they use the airlocks, you know, both consistently, but Mark only used the left one because it was where the ship was parked. And every time he opened and closed the door and then it basically led to the, the decompression. And I, I, I just love that literary use of tension because I'm like, I don't quite know why we're talking about this random piece of the ship, but it's it's going to be important. And then it had a big payoff. And I think it's one of those things that we spoke about that science as well um, can bring nations together as well. That we're in kind of in modern times, the escalations between kind of nations and once again showing that you know shooting towards the stars can bring a lot of people together that working together for the common good and i think that we can talk about the kind of the hard science but so many of these movies and the science fiction we grew up with really has been about the fact that science and space and science brings people together for common good that there's so much you know the international space station is an incredible achievement and the fact that it's brought so many nations together i think that that's the true kind of Star Trek, the, the space that we should all kind of aim to be aim towards that. We recently had uh, Tim Peake come back to the UK 
And the guy's gone around like a tour of the country and he's it's been selling out concert halls, venues, people that have wanted to see this guy and hear about his stories in space and there's such an appetite for that those real life heroes and you know, it truly is a, a future to strive towards. Oh it is. It definitely is. Okay, so Lee, what what are you adding to this list? Uh, I'm going to add to this. I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's some of the science is slightly dubious, but once again, it's it's grounded in some sort of realism, and that's uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Yes, Sunshine. That is a great one. Uh, the heat shield to the the way that I love how the ship is designed. I love how it's the second ship because the first one didn't quite succeed. Yes, dropping a bunch of visionable material into the sun is going to do jack squat. But if we look past that. Um, I love how they all have little tags on them that are actually how they like push to talk, talk with their AI computer. Uh, you know, you had human torch before he was human torch and yeah. And they all kind of go space crazy because of the, the sun and yeah, no sunshine. It definitely belongs on this list. Uh, kind of, it's a good halfway between uh, moon and gravity uh, interstellar such. So that, that I would definitely include it. Yeah, and I think it's another one of those ones again where it's once again about kind of nations coming together to save the planet, you know, pooling their resources and things like the kind of the use of that we see again with kind of the Martian, like having a botany, um, you know, kind of space department. We've got flowers, we're growing things, they're growing their own atmosphere. And I think things like that are really kind of quite fascinating. The, and the idea of what space can do to people mentally, the the damage it can do that we look up into the sky and think, oh, the sun, it's, it's so close. But the journey it would take to get to the sun and the damage it can do to us, perhaps mentally and physically, is, is still something to be, you know, to be learned. And I think that the sun, in terms of its use in science fiction movies, is, is so hugely overlooked that we've gone to the moon so many times we've gone to mars so many times yet the sun is this thing that we take for granted in our own sky and that we've barely ever covered about a movie about what it would be like to travel to the sun and i think sunshine really is a an interesting example of the sun it is which is it's so funny i've been re-watching or actually watching for the first time uh, the old 1960s thunderbirds and there's an episode called uh, sun probe where you know because it's in the semi-future, and they sent this rocket with a crew of three to send a little probe down and scoop up some material of the sun. And unfortunately, their retros don't fire, so Thunderbirds 3 has got to zip over there and save them. And it's, you know, again, it's, it made me think of when you brought up sunshine. and it's just, But yeah, it's, it's, we take the sun for granted. It's right there. And fortunately, it's not going to grow cold in the next decade or whatever. It will expand into a red giant uh, billions of years from now and consume the entire inner planets. But, you know, that we will not be around for. Maybe in Doctor Who, but uh, but not uh, not anything we will see. On that exciting note, I think that brings us to the end of our show. I think uh, we, we got in Thunderbirds and Doctor Who, so we're all we're all set. Absolutely. There has already been talks about doing a Thunderbirds episode, so I'm sure there'll be some listeners out there that'll be eager to hear that one. So thank you so much for this, Darren. It was a total pleasure to come join you today. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Again, you can listen to me on our new show, SETI Alpha 3, which is premiering this Friday, the 11th, I believe, with my co-host Daniel Prue and Philip Gilfus as we talk all of Star Trek, not just The Next Generation, but all of that franchise we love. 
And again, you can find out about my occupation of Southern California as a stormtrooper on my website, drsci-fi.com, or chat with me about your favorite hard science uh, movie on Twitter under username drsci-fi, D-R-S-C-I-F-I. Yeah, and you can find me on the filibuster. Me and Matt will be back next week. I'm not too sure what subject we'll be discussing, but I'm sure it'll be an exciting one. And you can find me on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo. And yeah, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really is greatly appreciated, especially now that we've got this exciting new rebrand that we're no longer the Senate flow. We're now the filibuster. So all your kind of reviews always kind of bring a wee smile to everyone here at the team. And it really does mean a lot. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And as I say filibuster is going to be a great place in the kind of coming weeks and months for all the hosts of the network all 13 to come together and talk about subjects like the hard science like darren's brought today thunderbirds in the future there's there's so many amazing ideas that are going on behind the scenes so hopefully you can can join us for each and every week and that'll be everything for today so that's us signing off please let us know your favorite hard sci-fi movie and get in touch thank you very much you're welcome lee Live long and prosper. (laughs) Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.